your ghosting scream, Matt Fisher. I'm the other half, Ryan Whedon. We have officially entered the most spooktacular of all spooky seasons. It is time for pumpkins and cornfields and candy, full moons and mischief and mayhem and most importantly, scream. Scurry movies. Ooh. I like how you've decorated this year. It's real nice. Um, you've got the bubbling cauldrons everywhere and um, all those beeswax candles, which I provided. Thank you. Thank you. I killed a lot of bees for that. And um, yeah, it's real spooky. I do think that the portal to that. I'm just going to say hellish dimension you've got going on over there is a little uh, well, that's the, off-putting. That's the grown-up section. That's that's the Hellraiser section. That's oh, okay. where you, you you open the puzzle cube and uh, a world of uh, ghastly pleasures comes to tear you apart for all eternity. Okay. You know. I mean, it's nice. I mean, it, it's the full range of having your flesh ripped from you. Okay. You know, it starts with having the beeswax candles melted on you. <laughs> And then it, better than those Yankee candles. <laughs> oh my god, that. so pricey! <laughs> and then it goes all the way to uh, yeah, your flesh being uh, stretched out with uh, chains and hooks. All right, yeah. I mean, it's impressive. I'm glad you were able to summon it. The fun thing about Cenobites is that is they tended to do as they're told, so long as you uh, don't actually summon them. Ah, you I know? see. Okay. So so long as the the puzzle box is just there for for others who want it they mm-hmm. mostly mind their own business oh okay yeah yeah there was that one using the bathroom earlier and uh whoo i wish i'd gotten there first i'll just say that but um other than that yeah they seem they seem fine so but yeah you know I like to get in the spirit yeah the festive spirit i love it you know we wait for this month all year and uh this is less scary than the real world right now so <laughs> i don't want to talk about the real world uh, so Ryan. Yes, yes. What was like the first scary movie that left an impression on you? <gasps> oh, well, this is an easy one. Well, no, it's not. Oh. Okay, I'm going to do two answers. All right, plot thickens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit. This, the first scary movie I, I remember watching isn't really scary, okay? But I was little and it scared me. It's a little movie called Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay, and which part in Ghostbusters? The very beginning, the library ghost was scary. You know, that's fair. That's fair. I was like five or six. I was pretty young, and uh, that was that, that terrified me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember having my blanket, and I remember when that ghost came out, I like covered my eyes, and then I left the room and like couldn't come back for the rest of the movie. Okay. And I was like, done. But then, fast forward, I don't know. Three, four years, I went to a nine-year-old's birthday party. His name was Michael Modis. Michael, if you're a listener, <laughs> I highly doubt it. Uh, and he, we went to Boardwalk. It was his birthday? It was his birthday. What did you get him? Uh, probably a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle related thing, I okay. would imagine. Sure. He was really into those. I was too. Okay. We all were. But 
uh, as I've maybe mentioned on the pod, I had a lot of girlfriends in elementary school. Um, but this was a, a case where he invited me to hang out for his birthday. And it was like me, Michael Modis, and like maybe four or five other boys. And we went to Boardwalk USA, which was the arcade, the big arcade. Sure. We played, you know, video games all night. And then we went back to his place and watched Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Whoa. And how old were you? Nine. Oh. And I'm going to tell you right now, I watched the whole thing with my eyes and ears plugged. I tried. I tried. I honestly did. I mm-hmm. watched it until, like, I think the scary lady came out from the floor. And then I was like, nope. No more. I mean, the first Evil Dead is objectively scarier than the second Evil Dead, I feel. Yeah. The first one's like a horror movie, and the second one's a horror comedy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, okay. I mean, those are good movies to be scared to if you're going to be scared by a movie. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, when I finally watched them as an adult after an appreciation for horror, like, it all kind of came rushing back. And I was like, oh, this was that movie I was scared of. Well, I think I've talked about this on the pod, but in case I have not, I definitely remember being in in the movie theater with my dad and a trailer for Army of Darkness came on. Oh, yeah. At a time of evil. You shall die! When the world needed a hero. This one was so about to die. What it got was him. Groovy. And I was like, that looks too scary for me. I don't want to see that. And I was probably like eight uh-huh. or so when that trailer came out. And I was like staying at my aunt's house for like, you know, Friday night or Saturday night or something. And my dad came to pick me up and he goes, oh, I got us tickets to a movie tonight. And there's just like something in me. I was like, please don't say Army of Darkness. He goes, it's supposed to be this like kind of scary comedy. I was like, please don't say Army of Darkness. And he goes, it's called Army of Darkness. And I was like, no. (laughs) But of course, being the demure child that I was, I just kept it all inside. Uh, And we went and saw it. Don't cry out loud. (laughs) Uh, we went and saw it, and I was not scared by it, but in fact delighted by it. Oh, that's nice. Uh, for some reason, it wasn't as scary when I was in the theater watching it, and I got a total kick out of it as nice. a kid. Okay. You know what movie did scare the pants off me as a, as a youth, as a youngling? Mm, I can't guess. Go. A little movie called Gremlins 2. <laughs> Gremlins 2? Yeah. What? I, it wasn't scary while I was watching it. But, like, I went to bed that night, and I kept getting images of, like, gremlins popping out from under my bed, and, like, I could not sleep that night. Was it the lady gremlin? <laughs> it was, like, the goofy gremlin that, like, tries to, like, drill Zach Galligan's teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's pretty scary. Yeah, it's like I watched the movie, and I was fine, but then, yeah, going to bed, just little images of gremlins kept popping up in my head and I couldn't sleep. It's like me in the pact. I watched the movie <laughs> and I was like, you whatever. Were already 45 when that movie came out. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, gremlins too, huh? We should do it for the podcast one day. I we, mean, we always reference it. That, that There was a handful of other scenes in movies that scared me. Mm-hmm. Who framed Roger Rabbit when Judge Doom when his eyes pop out and he's like transforming. Yeah. Scared the shit out of me as a kid. I'd always like run behind my parents' chair during that scene. I mean, Jaws, hello. My dad was like, you're going to get a kick out of this movie. (laughs) And I was like, I hate the ocean forever. (laughs) And I'm still traumatized by it. In the first Batman, the first Tim Burton Batman, Mm -hmm. when Joker's hand comes out of the chemicals and it's all gnarled, for some reason, like my little kid eyes, like, 
because like his skin is white, but like his nails are black when the oh, hand comes out. Yeah. It always looked to me like there was eyeballs on his fingers, oh. and that scared the shit out of me as a child. Huh. So like that was another thing that like I I couldn't watch that one scene. I mean, yeah, I saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure at a young age, and the Large Marge scene. <sighs> Really caught me by surprise. Oh, yeah, because it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not ready for that as a kid, it's terrifying. It's yeah. still kind of like when I watch it, like the hair stand up on the back of my neck. <laughs> the rest of the movie, because it gets funny again immediately mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. that, you're like, who cares? But like, yeah, that scene, you're like, <gasps> well, I remember oh, you- just, I just made myself like my hair stand up. <laughs> When we uh, reviewed Beetlejuice for the podcast, you talked about the scene where oh. uh, Gina Davis like rips her flesh off, yeah. like her face. Yeah. Um, but then like they don't even notice it and they just, just shove her aside. Yeah. I remember you said that it was like that was scary, but it was okay because like it's also funny. Yeah, it quickly got funny. Yeah, that's almost like I think that's a good formula. Like you can do something like honestly gory and terrifying if you just like follow it up really quick with a laugh yeah a little chaser yeah that's uh, a little resolution that's kind of nice actually mm-hmm. nowadays i'm like just give me dread <laughs> dread give, and horror give me unrelenting terror please <laughs> i want to be scared damn it which i haven't been lately i've been watching scary movies are you and- saying today's movie didn't scare the panties off you Oh, man, I don't wear panties. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I'm saying that. I'm saying today's movie didn't didn't frighten me in the slightest. Well, if you're ready to jump in, I guess we can uh, figure out what makes you such a stone-cold monster that didn't scare you. Today's movie is Francis Ford Coppola's first feature-length mainstream movie, Dementia 13 movie that neither says the words dementia nor as far as i can tell references the number 13 we've done two francis ford coppola movies on this podcast his, now his first and his last and uh based on the choices we've made so far <laughs> you'd never know that he was a titan of american <laughs> cinema nope dementia 13 is 75 minutes of terror <laughs> That was in quotations, right? Yeah. Terror was in quotations. Okay. That, uh, that's the, the, the tagline for the movie poster. <sighs> okay. I mean, off the bat, I'm just going to say, I had a lot of trouble following this movie. Oh, no, no, no. Like, Francis Ford Coppola is a gifted writer. He co-wrote the, the uh, I was going to say Ghostbuster movies, <laughs> the Godfather movies. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was based on Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> All his like big movies, he's had some hand in writing. Right, yeah. But yeah, I've always kind of had this suspicion that his heart is in horror movies. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I think it's because probably his last truly great movie is his Dracula. Oh, yeah. That's a good movie. I mean, that was like 91, 92 or something like that. 
But yeah, so this is a Roger Corman produced outing. That's if, right. If that tells you anything about the fair that we're dealing with. It was released as a double feature with a Roger Corman movie. I want to say X-Man, the man with X-ray vision. Oh, um, that is a movie <laughs> that Roger Corman directed, actually. Yeah, I think it's... Starring a- Ray Milland. I've seen that one. I think it's interesting that there was a time when it's like, you X, make a movie. The man with X-ray eyes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You make a movie, and then uh, you're like, you know, this is gonna. We need to release this as a double feature for Drive-In, so we're gonna make another movie to go with it. So, like, what? That's so funny that that was the thing that used to happen. You just said the magic word, mm. uh, Drive-In. I've never been to a Drive-In. Oh yeah. So I kind of romanticize the idea of going to one. We or, should go. I want to, but there's not like one readily available. It's like there's the, one in Bremerton. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a whole ferry ride away. I'll rent a car. We'll go see a movie. <laughs> I guess it, b- business is booming right now because they can show yeah, movies. Yeah. Like someone, like people are seeing Tenant at a drive-in. Let's go see the Bill and Ted movie. <laughs> okay, perfect. Great. So like in my head, it's always like romanticized a little bit. And just because, you know, you see how drive-ins are in old movies and TV shows <laughs> and <laughs> there's a romantic quality to them. And I don't think we really dedicated the podcast to any hardcore drive-in fodder maybe private parts you know some movies here or there but uh i don't know they just kind of seemed like a big staple of american movie going for a long time oh yeah and uh i don't think we've dedicated enough i time to them i also feel that if this podcast was started in 1970 we would be specializing in like drive-in grindhouse movie theater fodder why not sure like, Knife Plus Heart, if that was released 40 years ago, it would only be shown at, like, Grindhouse movies. Right, yeah. Or theaters. It wouldn't be in the running for Best Picture at Cannes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, honestly, after watching this, Twixt makes a lot more sense. Oh, really? Not that the movie itself makes sense, but I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the kind of movie... Franny Forco's like <laughs> this is his for. natural state. Yeah, he's like <laughs> this is his default position. <laughs> this, these are the kind of crummy, impenetrable <laughs> movies I like to make. Apparently, um, I was real confused. I mean, you know how I'm like always complaining about movies that like say somebody's name over and over again. Yeah, in this one, I was so glad they kept calling Louise Louise because she looked a lot like the other blonde yeah, girl. They're identical. I was like, well, how are one's you? One's got more of a bob. The other's got sort of a more modernish cut. Well, th- okay. But the, their characters aren't <laughs> defined enough to know the difference. No, Louise no. is the one who's trying to talk her way into the inheritance, and the American girl, whose name I couldn't tell you, uh-huh. is there for. Mm, I'd like to know your answer to that. She is going to marry the other, the brother. Oh, I didn't get that. Oh, <laughs> they're making a big deal about the wedding. I thought that there was going to be something about how they looked so similar. Like they were going to like be, there was going to be some body switching or something. And that never happened. No, you know, dollars to donuts. I'm going to say that it has to do with the fact that the, the Franny Forco only got this one made because he agreed to use the set and most of the cast of another Roger Corman movie that was filming. So long as he shot, dementia 13 around the shooting schedule of the other movie which probably means that the actors were just like working like 18 hour days although this was shot in nine days so it's like 
you know, you can tough it out. Actors. Nine days? Yeah. Oh, my God. But it was probably just like, you know, you can use this cadre of actors for your supporting cast. He's like, well, I've already cast the lead actress, and she looks identical to one of the supporting actresses. Oh, well. Too late now. We gotta make a movie. We, we, yeah, we got a movie to make. <laughs> uh, but there, there's a charm, and part of me romanticizing drive-in movies is I kind of, or the the drive-in experience is that I also kind of romance drive-in movies a little bit. Okay, like there's something about the scrappy guerrilla filmmaking back then that I'm sure was obnoxious for all involved, but I kind of love hearing about or even seeing to a great extent. Mm-hmm. You know, just hearing about how this movie was called Dementia at first, but that name already, like, existed from a movie from the 50s. So they put on Dementia 13, like, they added in the 13, because that's a scary number, Uh and they could uh, reasonably have it shown at theaters every Friday the 13th, so it had a resale value. Well, you know, that's not the worst idea I've heard. That's that's the sort of marketing genius that went into the these movies. Yeah. Also, like if you watch the trailer for this, a lot of it is like the movie's so scary you have to like have a mental examination on your way in or on your way out or something to make sure that you haven't been driven crazy by dementia thirteen. Wow. You will be given a test prepared by Dr. Bryant to determine your ability to withstand shock. Those unable to pass this test will not be admitted to the theater. I gotta get me one of those. <laughs> I mean, that was a big thing because it was like Psycho drove people out of the theaters, or like people were like vomiting on the streets and after Psycho and stuff like that. Right, and that only helped Psycho's box office numbers. Exorcist so. too. I saw lots of. There's oh, all these re- reaction videos of people being like, "I left. I couldn't handle it." I mean, we see it even now with like Paranormal Activity. Like shots uh, yeah. of like the audience are like part of the trailer, like, right? Just people yeah. being scared. You okay, know? now do yours. Ready? Let, let's say uh, you're. We'll just say Dementia 13. And like, what did you think of the movie? I was so terrified. I spilled all my popcorn over me. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and what did you think of Dementia 13? I barfed! <laughs> From fear. <laughs> Not because of my IBS. <laughs> so, all right, my, my big question on this, and I think I know your answer already, okay. is like, would we be talking about this movie if it wasn't directed by Francis Ford Coppola? I highly doubt it. Yeah? Like... Although, you know what? Here's the thing. There's a couple notes I have on here where I'm like, you know, I'm not mad at this scene. Like, the whole ceremony thing that they do every year about, for, for Kathleen. For, for Kathleen. Like, it's shot kind of cool because part of it is shot from Louise's perspective at the top of the turret mm-hmm. looking down on it. And I'm like, that's inventive. Mm-hmm. I like this. I actually kind of like the opening shots of them like rowing in the boat and I, it's like black and all you see is the boat. I think the the opening scene is actually like expertly directed. Like I think that's that very good stuff in that the the opening. I with- liked all the underwater stuff. I mean there's a there's a lot and like the the toy monkey chopping and the soundtrack the goes along with crawling, it. The baby crawling, like in that same scene, like yeah, the, yeah, like there's a lot of good stuff in there. It just has the the veneer of you know being shot in nine days. Yeah. Overall, um, I think the movie is bad, but there's like there are some shiny moments in there. I mean, the opening scene I actually feel is like super promising. Like if I were to see that scene alone, I'd be like, oh, this director's actually got some talent. Like. 
I don't know. There's an atmosphere to it. It is odd that someone who's like in a full suit is like, I'm going to take the boat out for a little while. Like that's like the first line in the movie. <laughs> the writing isn't great. Yeah, hey, Louise, let's take the boat out. Okay, John. <laughs> hey, Louise. Why don't we talk about my mom? John. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just kind of get the feeling that Francis Ford Coppola had the idea for like the first 15 20 minutes of this mm-hmm. and then roger corman greenlit it and he had to write the rest of the script like over the weekend yeah because and you got a castle go <laughs> yeah because that opening scene is solid they're talking about the mother's will and that if he dies before his mother dies mm-hmm. then she gets nothing and while saying this he has a heart attack on the boat and dies if i die before mother what a convenient plot point so <laughs> so she hides the body and then pretends that he's still alive and i like the scene because yeah it's like ensconced in black there's that sort of cryptic elvis or rockabilly playing like the, oh, diegetic and the radio music. drops in yeah that's cool that's and cool. like this is also home like this is great atmosphere mm-hmm. here like mm-hmm. this is like capital d directed this scene i also think the fashion on what's her name i just like louise yeah her, i don't know how for, could you forget her name <laughs> well you know spoiler alert she dies kind of early in the movie yeah about halfway through i'd say nah it's like 20 30 minutes in is it yeah yeah well the movie's only 75 minutes, so that is early, I suppose. <laughs> Even her, like, trying to, like, cover up John's, like, disappearance. Like, she writes that letter saying, oh, I've been called away on business. And, you know. Um, second movie you've chosen this season where somebody's forging somebody's signature. Just sure. to point that <laughs> this out. This is only my second movie of the season. Uh-huh. You're on a roll. <laughs> Just, like, all this seems like really good mystery thriller sort of, you know, th- horror thriller tropes. Yeah, it's a good setup. And then it gets to the point where they pull a psycho and uh, she's killed. Like, she's she has some bizarre plan. What was this plan? Okay, please explain the plan to me. Well, like, the you kind of see how the plan played out. How she was thinking of engineering the plan is foggy. She, so she, she went into cat... So, all right, this is... It, <laughs> It's ripped off Psycho. The, here's the fun part. <laughs> All right, so so Franny Forco's already ripped off Psycho, or he he does in this movie, but a lot of the movie kind of uh, has a Rebecca theme to it, okay. where it's haunted by uh, you know, and Rebecca, someone who's not there. Rebecca, it was the late wife, uh, where there's portraits and everyone keeps talking about her. Right. In this case, it's Kathleen, the young daughter who who drowned very uh, uh, tragically. Right. So. She sneaks into Kathleen's room and gets some toys. That are like the toys from the movie toys. They're like shitty wind-up toys. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gets some twine and a wrench, and she's going to swim down to where Kathleen drowned. And I guess the scheme was that they would bobble back up during... The ceremony, or or not the ceremony, because that already happened, but uh, during some other time when the mother was out by the pond, maybe reflecting upon 
dear departed Kathleen. That's a that's a hard thing to time. I'm just gonna say. Well, because it, it works out. They're all over there the next day, and, and they bubble they up. They bubble up, and it like gets wheels in motion. It's just by this time she's dead. That was the plan. I, I mean, I would assume so because that's what happened. Like it worked. If that was her plan, then Ooh, okay. she I mean, did it. I could have used a few more context clues, but uh, okay, okay, yeah. I thought she was when she was swimming. I was like, oh, she's looking for John because she wants to make sure he's down there. And so when she sees the body, there's the big reveal. Yeah, I thought that was John. <laughs> The, the little blonde girl. Well, I, re- I saw it and I was like, well, okay, that's With obviously some body. And I rewound it and I was like, I still, I can't tell what that is. So I assumed <laughs> it was John because John got thrown overboard. So I was like, but why, what is she looking for? What? The, the, the little blonde girl in a dress you thought was the it big It does not brunette. look like a little blonde girl it in a dress. It absolutely looks like it. Okay, we're going to get a screenshot of that and post it, and then we'll, we'll see how everyone You know, else... I did watch the restored Blu-ray of this, okay, so maybe I, that made the difference. I watched some crummy SD version <laughs> that was probably ripped onto YouTube, so... So that, as far as I can tell, is the plan that she has, okay. I think. Not entirely sure, but... As that is what happens. But then, and to what end? Like, to- Well, I think she was trying to give the mother a heart attack because she <laughs> wants the mom to die before they realize John is dead uh-huh. so that she can get her split of the inheritance. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Just, wow. Convoluted way <laughs> to kill it's all there, Ryan. your mother-in-law. It's all there. Did you notice... That the other blonde girl, as she's like riding a horse, and Lorraine comes out. Mm-hmm. Did you pay attention to the the line that Lorraine says about the other blonde girl? No, what'd she say? She goes, "I can tell she's an American girl raised on promises." <gasps> no. Yeah. Really? Yeah. around this place isn't good for. She may be right. Especially an American girl. You can tell she's been raised on promises. It's possible that that Tom Petty saw this movie at some point and liked the, the sound of that. Wow. Yeah. And then Jonathan Demme used it in Silence of the Lambs. Full circle. <laughs> Another Corman alum. Oh, He's really? in that movie. Roger Corman's in Silence of the Lambs. Wait, when? It's a real brief shot. It's like, I think as things are ramping up, they call like the FBI director or something like that. And Corman's the FBI <sighs> director. It's just like one like close up of him, like at a desk talking on the phone. Did you have a trainee make some sort of phony offer to Lecter in the senator's name? Yeah, I rolled the dice I had to. Well, she's mad as hell, Jack. Where was that in our double feature? I don't know. It's not super <laughs> important to that movie, but... And then, yeah, Jonathan Demme is a Corman alum as well. Fun, fun yeah. facts. So after Lorraine I thought you dies, were gonna s- oh, sorry. No, no, go, go for it. Go I just thought it. you you were going to say like, did you notice? I thought you were going to say, did you notice who the actor playing the doctor was? Oh yeah, which one hundred percent. Those eyebrows are more remarkable than any of Eugene or Dan Levy's. <laughs> it's the dude. From Clockwork Orange. Yeah, the doctor. With that, the penis statue. Yeah. That gets his, that whose wife is murdered by Alex. Yeah. And then later when he's singing the song, he makes that really scary face. It is a scary face. Yeah. It's like a shining face a little bit. Like yeah. Danny makes the same face in The Shining. That's true. Yeah. 
But he's uh, he's the doctor. He's in this the movie. doctor. Yes. I thought that's what you were going to ask me about. Oh no, no, no. no he, he's too recognizable, of course. Okay, okay, okay. I don't know his name. I didn't so, take it down. So no, it's after Lorraine dies that the movie sort of stops making sense. <laughs> like everything else, I'm at least <laughs> able to like connect these these wide arcing dots. Uh huh. And this is the one where I'm just after that. I'm like, I don't know if this makes much sense anymore. <laughs> But so yeah, this I got real confused. But this is drive-in fodder. You're not supposed to watch these movies. You're supposed to make out with somebody about thirty minutes into these movies. Oh, and then you're supposed to look at the screen when something dramatic's about to happen, and it's supposed to, you know, much like all those art house movies we watched, it's supposed to make sense emotionally, but maybe not logically. Oh. Like we're supposed to be like, oh, it makes sense that that person dies. Yeah. Well, I don't know why, but it does. Okay. Like when that... Uh, uh, I did like when her head got chopped off and rolled down. That was good, by the way. Was yeah, it? or the, the the hunter. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's his head rolled yeah, down. Yeah, his head got fully chopped that's off. That's right, hers didn't. And then who else dies? Someone else dies. <sighs> don't remember. <laughs> I could swear there was a third cadaver, or maybe they just catch the killer when they, he's about... They to- do chop up that wax doll of kathleen at the very end yeah they they you're not thinking of that are you face no i think uh, but i was thinking of that scene maybe it was that that the brother was trying to kill someone and they stopped him at that point okay i mean that was another like real difficult thing for me like i knew names Mm -hmm. but like they don't do a great job of establishing how these characters are related i was like who's that again what's how do they know these There's other There's the mother, and uh-huh. then her two or three sons. Three sons, I think. There's and then, the sculptor, the axe murderer. Yeah. And what was the third? Uh, John, the one that dies at the very beginning. Oh, right, John. So, okay. yeah, and her three sons, and then Kathleen, the ghost child. Who would have been their sister. Yeah. Okay. And then some poacher neighbor. Yeah, I don't know what he was doing there. And the American girl was going to marry the sculptor or the murderer? The sculptor. No, 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 no. Yeah, the, the sculptor, not the murderer. But the other brother picks her up from the airport. Yes. See, that's confusing. <laughs> it's all blood related and, and yeah. Okay, I mean, I'm going to take your <laughs> word for it. I just... When I was, I'm like, this movie's 75 minutes, and I'm like so confused. <laughs> How am I so lost in a 75 minute movie? But to, I will say, tonally, it's all fine. 70. I wasn't lost emotionally, I suppose. <laughs> I do have a note here that says there's not enough hair disparity. Exactly. One had like f- flip outs, and one had flip ins and bangs. One had like a side part. But they were the same length and blonde. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was tough to tell them apart. You think any of them were wearing a wig? Oh, yeah. Good <laughs> question. I think Louise's could have been a wig. It looked like bleach to all hell. It looked like Barbie doll hair. So uh, back when we did our private parts episode, I'd mentioned that uh, this movie was recommended to me by an uh, old regular customer when I worked at the record store. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I watched this movie right around the same time as Private Parts. 
I mean, talk about a perfect double feature. And I remember I went to work and I was like, next time I see him, I'm going to bring up this movie and see if he if he knows about it, you know, trying to impress him. And I go, have you ever seen Dementia 13? And he goes, the Francis Ford Coppola movie? And I go, yeah. And he goes, Dementia 13 is my favorite movie of all time. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, that says so much about your tastes in movies. I was like, I liked it, but I was like, I just thought that this was would be right up his alley, and I was right. <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting that, I mean, this is a little peek behind the curtain, but we're recording this on the same day that we did The Devil All the Time, yeah, which was a movie I hated, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. but um, this movie, which is, I think, objectively worse <laughs> in like every metric you can imagine, I like a lot more. <laughs> it has so much more charm. <laughs> And, like, inventiveness. And, and you it, could fit, like, three of these movies into Devil All the Time. Seriously. Boy. I mean, it was funny because there was a point where I was like, I'm confused. I don't want... I don't care what's happening anymore. And I looked. I'm like, oh, there's only 15 minutes. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Who cares? I can tough it out through 15 minutes. Yeah, I could do something later. <laughs> I've got time. Whereas, like, if we were still in the Devil's All the Time, I'd be like, fuck, I've got two hours left of this Devil's movie. taking up all my time. <laughs> Yeah, all the that's the emphasis all the time. <laughs> I was watching this. I was like, "This movie's from 1963. We just did Purple Noon, which was from 1960, and looks so much better than this." Oh my god, it's way more accomplished. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man, this must have just had zero budget." Well, you said they filmed it in nine days. Yeah. So, and also, it sounds like because I think because I think I read this. They were doing it as like a double feature to, sh- to show with X. The man with X-ray eyes. The man with X-ray eyes. Uh, Which is in color. It seems odd to yeah, have one black, black and white, one color. Whatever. Um, Starring Ray Milland from Dial M for Murder. Hitchcock, oh, full circle. How about that? Yeah. Look at that. This movie is like a touch tone. <laughs> well, you know, Roger Corman, you don't produce 280 movies without... Having some talent run through your system. Yeah, he's got he's got the bright eyes uh, model. Put everything out. Produce everything. Are you speaking ill of Connor Oberst? I'm just saying, pr- prolificacy does not necessarily make you a genius. <laughs> no, it just means that once in a while you get a good egg if you put everything out. That's either. I think that's you could either say that's the because I don't feel like Bright Eyes was super prolific. He put out everything he ever made. He's like, here's 13 songs. Here's 13 more yeah, nine months it, later. I think he only did that for a little while. If you want to talk about like needlessly prolific, like Ryan Adams or Weezer or like who should have hung it up long ago. Um, I don't know. I thought I think Bright Eyes like plateaued after like 2007. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they really released much stuff after that. Boy, maybe I might I'm, be wrong. Maybe I'm just Bright Eyes fans. Correct me. That was always my uh, that was always my go to on like somebody who releases something too much. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Am I old? Am I, is that a bad reference? <laughs> yeah. Am I, it, Children well, <laughs> listening to the podcast? Do you know Bright Eyes? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say. Uh, I mean, Bright Eyes that went out with uh, Zach Braff and uh, Frau Frau. You know, Roger Corman, like a lot of people came out of his school and it's sort of fun to go back and, and like see 
like which talents worked on these movies. Yeah. And I, I love hearing like the stories. A lot of times like the stories are more interesting than the movie itself. Mm-hmm. And this also dates to like sort of a wild west time where it's like <laughs> they'd like buy the distribution rights to some shitty foreign horror movie and then they'd shoot 20 minutes with some American actors who could like get killed off and then they build the movie as starring those American actors. <laughs> and I don't know, it's just like, in, they just come up with a good line. Like there's a movie called Screamers where it's like some stoned out poster maker wrote uh, the movie where a man turns inside out and that doesn't happen in the movie. <laughs> Lies! And so they showed it at like a drive-in and like people were pissed and asking for their money back because no man got turned inside out. So they sent it back, shot like, they found like one stock footage scene of like something gross happening and they spliced in a scene of a woman looking in a closet looking for a guy and she like says his name as she like opens the closet door and then they showed this like gross thing and then she closes the closet door and they just said that's where the man turns inside <laughs> out. <laughs> These are all Roger Corman movie stories that I'm quoting by the way. It's like, this is the sort of factory mentality that they had. They're just like, we're just going to keep trying until it sticks. I've seen a couple Roger Corman directed movies. And uh, like I've seen the original Little Shop of Horrors and oh, Bucket yeah. of Blood. And like they look like they were made with $20. Like, oh, yeah. He's not in it for production values. He's in it because he's like, let's turn this out and hopefully it'll make money. But look at the school of, of like filmmakers that came out of this mentality. So you got your Francis Ford Coppola's, you got your Martin Scorsese's, you got your Jonathan Demme's mm-hmm. in terms of actors. Peter Fonda came out of it. Jack Nicholson came out of it. Pam Greer came out of it. Like, it's awesome. I think it's great. Peter Bogdanovich came out of it. Everyone's um, got to have that first job. Yeah, uh, Joe Dante came out of it. And I think it was Jonathan Demme who said that it was like he got hired as like a lighting director on one movie. And by the end of the week, he was the cinematographer. And then over the weekend, he was help editing the movie. And what it, a way to gain experience. Yeah. And he's like the, the nice thing about like working for uh, Roger Corman is like you do suddenly understand how all parts of movies are made. I mean, that's kind of great. I love it. It's sort of, you know, and like there's a term of gatekeepers mm-hmm. in certain industries where it's like you can't advance past a certain level unless one person lets you through. Yeah. I like the idea that uh, Roger Corman just like flung the gate open yeah. and is like, everybody, come on in. I don't feel like we, well, maybe we do have something like that today that I can't think of off the top of my head, but like. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like, I, you know, it, I don't think you can really tell these things until well after the fact. But it's just, especially back then when the barrier to entry into movie making was so high. Like now, you know, you can take a long Snapchat video and it's better production values than a lot of these schlocky movies from 50s and 60s. Yeah. So the idea that it was just like, yeah, if you can make a movie on budget in this time frame, you got a deal. And he consistently made money, too. Like, say what you will about the quality of Dementia 13, it got butts in seats. There's other good things I can say about it, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked the score, even, <laughs> it a was, little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was a little, a, little, a little crazy, but... Uh, they had to get people 
musicians together to play that. Somebody had to write that music, and I'm like, you know, this ain't bad. <laughs> so, kind of, kind of into it. It added to the to the atmosphere just right, and uh, those musicians got paid. <laughs> they definitely did. So it's like, you know, I I'm not mad at that. I don't know. It's like we're soft on uh, uh, bad gay movies a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like this is the exact same mentality that bad gay movies like had. Yeah, that it was just like we're gonna find some rich dentist friends who got a little money to spare, and we're gonna throw together a movie best we can, yeah. and uh, we're gonna release it to undiscerning viewers. <laughs> I've definitely like ripped on movies for having incoherent plots, mm-hmm. and. That's my biggest beef with this movie, but also, yeah, like it's not a deal breaker, <laughs> which is strange because, like, I think the the key word that you mentioned earlier is like charm. There's like some sort of charm mm-hmm. that this movie casts over you while watching it. That's sort of like, even though it's incomprehensible and <laughs> like stupid with a capital S and two O's, like I don't know, I enjoyed it overall. <laughs> Were you scared, stupid? <laughs> I feel stupider for watching it. <laughs> Having watched a you know a fair amount of Roger Corman, I don't want to say a lot because there's that many out there, God. and he you know he's responsible for like the Sharknado movies and things like that. Yeah, I kind of do think I don't know if we if we would be talking about it on this podcast if not for for Franny Forco's contributions. Yeah, but I do kind of feel like if you were into this like grindhouse cinema stuff then it would still probably hold a place in your heart. Because, like, the the regular customer at work, or at my old job, this wasn't his favorite movie ever because Francis Ford Coppola directed it. Yeah. Like, there was something else to this. This epitomized a certain type of filmmaking at that specific place. And, uh, yeah, he just appreciated that. It was remade in like 2017 or something like that. I saw that. Uh, I haven't watched that because I heard it's horrible, but. I would hope that they at least fleshed out the like toy part. (laughs) Why the toy part? Because that was so confusing. When you explained it to me, I was like, oh, I get it now. Not like her and Kathleen's room going through the toys. Well, that was confusing too. I thought that was just supposed to be like jump scares. Yeah, I mean, kind of like that. Yeah, the monkey with the axe and like the little baby. crawly baby. Yeah. Like that's all pretty scary. Kind of remind me of Toy Story actually when they're in Sid's room and like the the evil. They're not evil as it turns out. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen Toy Story, but they look evil, right? Uh, and they're they're scurry looking. I mean, my thought with the monkey that was like chopping wood was like. These are like the shitty toys from the movie toys. toys. That like, if you open this and got this for Christmas, you'd be like, "Oh, that's how toys were in the '60s. They all oh, sucked. Terrible toys. You couldn't you can open it and get a Nintendo Switch or something." Barry Levinson watched this movie and was like, "I'm going to make a movie about toys like this." <laughs> I just think that scene has a lot of atmosphere to it, like the way that the monkeys oh, yeah. lit stuff like that goes a long way it's just i don't know th- with this movie i can see the directing talent where a lot of these other movies like you mentioned little shop of horrors the original one mm-hmm. that one feels like no talent it sucks it sucks it's straight up su- it's not even interesting for jack nicholson uh um, like, i don't recommend it and even though dick miller is in it who later shows up in gremlins right um and whoever plays his wife in the gremlins movie is also in Little Shop of Horrors as Audrey. That's fun. Yeah. They're reunited like 
30 years later or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like dedicating a little bit of the podcast to the golden age of schlock cinema. It's a good start. Good start. I like it. Do you have any final thoughts on Dementia 13 before we uh, cross into the next dimension? <laughs> Would have liked a little more Dementia mm-hmm. and a little more on the number 13. I think they do mention that Kathleen was 13 when she died. Hey, there we go. And the mom kind of has Dementia, it seems like. Yeah, maybe. A little bit. Definitely got some hang-ups. <laughs> when I think of, like, piecing together movies like or or ripping off movies as you know you really see a lot in horror movies like and i kind of feel like francis ford coppola was just like you know i like rebecca and i like psycho and i like diabolique i could just mash all those together make something out of it can you know? wing it i've got nine days yeah <laughs> that includes writing the script like, yeah from when the pen hit the page to completion in of the, the edit. Yeah. You're done. You're done. Easy. No, this was fun. I did enjoy it. So, yeah. good kickoff. And at 75 minutes, you know, what more could you want? <sighs> I'm great. Because if this movie was 85 minutes, that would have been a, a, a bridge too far. Well, it could, it could have been like 78 minutes with a little bit more expo- explanation. <laughs> but whatever. I'm happy it was 75. It was good. But next week, Matt... I'm going to do something completely different. Uh, you're going to be contrarian? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. It's going to be that the horrors of corn subsidies or something? No, something completely different to the movie that we did last week, but still in the horror genre. Genre. You asked for it, and so you're getting it. More musicals. Okay. And here's a shit horror musical for you, Matt. <laughs> oh, good. Called Repo, the genetic opera. Oh, I've heard this one's bad. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. Oh, yeah. It's got uh, Paris Hilton uh, turned inside out. Uh, <gasps> okay. That's spoiler alert. All right. Um, and uh, we've got Sarah Brightman. Yeah, I'm, and, I seem to recall that. Uh, Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is I've in this never movie watched singing. It. Okay. Well, he's in it. And, um, you know, it has a lot of potential. Okay. And I remember when I saw the preview for it, I was like, oh, this looks kind of cool. I kind of like this. Uh, the problem is that <sighs> the music's real bad. Like, like really bad. Well, I mean, if Sarah Brightman's in it, how good can it be? I'm assuming she sings. It's an opera. Everybody sings. <laughs> Even Paris Hilton? Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, fuck from, uh, he's a character actor that we love. Brad Dorif. Steven Topolowski. He's like, he plays gangsters a lot. Um, Paul Sorvino. Oh, Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino's in it and he sings. So really? um, Yeah. And Ogre from, uh, Skinny Puppy, isn't it? So, um, take an edible, wait 45 minutes. Hit play. Okay. And you're going to hate me. <laughs> okay, really? Yeah. This is, this I mean, is, this is what you asked for, Matt. You want shit musicals? I've got a whole deck of them. Th- this so. is outside the uh, usual. The time zone. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. But I just wanted to prove to you that, like, you know, 
I like shit musicals that aren't just from the early 80s, late 70s. from the disco heyday. Yeah, I like shit musicals from the late aughts as well. Wow. So, so we can add to the great pantheon of rock and roll, The Apple, Xanadu. Xanadu. We've covered more than that, haven't we? Maybe not. Oh, okay. Well, those three things. <laughs> Repo the genetic opera. I'm excited about it. Yeah, Okay. Uh, well, until then, why don't we plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? So on the sordid topic of coin, mm. please go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash xratedmovies. Right. Why aren't you doing it already? It's awesome. Like, everyone who's doing it is constantly talking to everyone they know and being like, oh my god, I love being a patron of x-rated movies. Uh, yes, if you're already a Patreon, please tell a friend, a family member, uh, sign up your children. Hey, yeah. They have money right kids these days it's all electronic so you know we'll get on the amazon storefront you can purchase it like anything else yeah yeah have them use their credits yeah and um we'll turn those into coins also when you do it you get lots of bonus content like we're doing all sorts of bonus content and especially in uh december you're going to want to get in now because we've got lots of fun stuff coming up in december so big big event christmas in december yes and in the meantime, why don't you go give us a few stars and some reviews on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Stitcher, Audio, or Overcast. Overcast, any of those things that you like to listen to this on. If you give us ratings and reviews, that bumps us up and more people listen, which is great. And then, of course, all the social medias, your Facebooks, at Rated X Movies, mm-hmm. your Twitters, at X Rated Movies. Your emails at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And you can go to our website, xratedmovies.com. The ever-expanding X-Rated Movies website. And, uh, yeah, if that doesn't do it for you, if that doesn't give you your fill, then, uh, well, I don't know. I Reach don't know out what to, to do. Us. <laughs> yeah. I'd hope you'd have enough of we us after that. We give and we give and we give. Just kidding. We love you for listening. And, um, hey... Tune in next week when we talk about Repo the Genetic Opera as we continue our Shlocktoberfest. Until then, keep reaching for that. Rainbow doesn't sound appropriate. Um, keep, keep reaching, reaching for, for that, that skull hellscape. bone. <laughs> we'll but, work on it. Yeah, we'll work on we'll it. We'll workshop it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.